This is Tyler Kirkham, and this is the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Here with us today, after a short delay, by popular demand, we have CBS. I don't think you understand the word popular. What the meaning of that is. There was two letters. Hey, in the word? I spell that. No, they were they were written old school with stamps and stuff. Oh, damn. See, now that is impressive. That shows dedication, folks. And that is appreciated. Yeah, not email that just gets erased. Real letters. Awesome. Also with us today is Rob. Hey. Hi. So were the letters only to me or were they to everyone? They were the Top 5 Comics Podcast. So it's a group thing. Mostly with your name on the middle. Hey, that's what I like. As long as I got the important guy noticed. That's what I, that's what I like. Now that the busy season for conventions Cons? and shows yeah. are, are coming to at least a standstill with us, we're back and ready to do some episodes. All right. Um, so with that in mind, <clears throat> everybody, that's Rob. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, like, uh, announcer guy was saying, uh, we've had, guys, the last month we've had, what, four cons? So we had the Denver con, we had the Junior con, um, I had San Diego. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe there's only three. I think it's just the three. Oh, uh, I think they got another one coming up sometime soon, so. Well, there's Kamikaze in October, um, Colorado Springs, if we do that one, which is in August? So, yeah, there might be a couple more. I guess we'll see. All right, uh, well, today we're doing episode number 80? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, well, since we don't have the illustrious Ross today, um, I guess we'll do a little bit of news, but briefly. Uh, so last week, San Diego Comic-Con happened, which, oddly enough, this particular podcast, we have an interview with Jim Shooter, which was from the Denver Comic-Con, which a couple weeks back now, which is... Unfortunate that it didn't get on there sooner, but hey, you know, the world happens. So, there's that. Uh, but San Diego Comic Con, we had a release of a, a quasi-trailer for Justice League, uh, which is good stuff, interesting stuff in there. Uh, a trailer for Spider-Man, which I don't know if that's online or not. I know the Justice League one is. I don't know if the Spider-Man one is or not. Uh, there was also a, a trailer for, well, kind of a trailer for uh, Wonder Woman, uh, a bunch of up a bunch of release stuff, all things that at this point you can find online if you just look up San Diego Comic Con, Marvel spoilers or whatever. Anyway, uh, other than I mean, which is there's a slew of stuff. So if that's what you want to chase down, do it yourself. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that came out of San Diego. Um, also, in the game side of it, I guess NetherRealm Studios introduced two new characters for Injustice Two, which if you didn't know, Injustice Two is going to be a thing. Looks pretty good so far. Injustice is the DC game with the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another Studios DC... Part 2. Versus game, yeah, so... Right, right, which also has a comic book title that follows... Well, it doesn't follow the story necessarily. I mean, it's, it, it followed the, the first game, and then after the first game, moved forward with stuff. So I guess it'll be interesting to see where the game 2 connects, if it connects to the books at all. Yeah, as far as I understood, they were working with the the game companies to, to build this four-year gap in between the two games. Right. So in theory, that should be what explains things in the middle in case you care about story. Hmm. 
Who really cares about that, though? Oh, Alex Turner. Whatever, Rob. All right, um, in today's show, we're going to be doing a... Oh, man, a slew of books, right? Uh, we're doing a Rebirth Batgirl number one, uh, followed by Venom Space Knight number... Uh, ten. Number ten. Uh, that followed by Rom number one, which if you're a listener of the show, you know I love Rom. And not just stuff that goes on your computer, I mean like the character from the books. Uh, then we got Titans Rebirth, issue one. It's right. actually just Titans. Oh, excuse me, Titans. Titans Rebirth, or just Titans one. Titans, well there's so many of them. Yeah, with the Rebirths and the... Titans, uh, Titans Rebirth number one. But it's just the official Titans. Okay. No Rebirth. No Damien, just Dick Grayson. Because everybody loves the dick. That's true, but this one just doesn't have the rebirth in the title. Whatever. Issue 1 of Titans? This is the regular yes, issue 1? Oh, that's right, issue. it is. Because the other one came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Alright, well, I was confused with the title, but hey, who isn't? That's alright, we'll talk about that in a bit. Nevertheless, no Damien. And then, man, finally, guys, like we don't know what we're doing at all. Um, Uncanny X-Men, number 10. <laughs> God. Uh, why do people even listen? That does mean stop. You keep doing it. That's what, that's what we like. Should, should we talk for a second about the two things going on with DC and, and Marvel real fast? About Rebirth and about what's going to happen post-Civil War II? Oh, you're talking about uh, Marvel Now again? Yes. And, and of course, Rebirth, because I don't think we've talked about Rebirth really. Oh, no, I don't know. We, we, we did when we... Well, know. we talked about it when we did the special. Yeah, edition. we did a special yes. episode. Uh, well, what do you want to say about Rebirth, Ralph? Um, from what I understand, and this is not a credible source right now, but this is evidently going to be a two-year story plan. So they've got this figured out for a while, is what I understand. You say got this figured out like they're not making it up as they go. That's the idea. They've at least got a, a, an idea. Lies. And it's possible. All lies. I don't know. When Jeff Jeff Johns is involved, there's a possibility that they actually do have something figured out. Yeah. Mm, he wrote down on tissue paper and let's hope he doesn't get thrown away. It's true. It's true. <sighs> um the other thing and, and just to throw this out here, if you if you are picking up these number ones and you get completely confused whether this is rebirth or this is the actual number one of the issue, what you have to do is actually go to the back of the issues and go into the actual legal jargon at the bottom of the page, and they'll either tell you it's Batgirl Rebirth number one, or just Batgirl number one. Right, well, in the title headers, too, with the way they position the Rebirth name sort of helps, but we found that that's not true on every issue. That's right. Because a lot of them have Rebirth big, and in the regular title, normal. And then lately a batch of them came out that didn't have that same thing going on. Yeah. So, yeah. Two number ones is annoying. There should have been a zero and a one. Yeah. But you people only buy number ones. That's true. Which is what the sad day is. Yeah. Sad day. They could all be number ones from here on out. That might be the best marketing campaign. Oh, my God, man. No, you never understand how to read anything. <laughs> no. You that is freaking ridiculous. Um, oh, but speaking of number ones, Marvel Now again? Yes, Marvel Now again. Um... Now, it's hard to say whether there's actually a a very good basis for this, for why they're doing it, but Civil War II's ending, which is not, you know, hasn't happened yet, of course, it's going to have some pretty profound effects on the Marvel Universe, and so that means we're going to get a whole lot of new titles. 
Well, or her last title to start over at one. That way we get number ones. This is true. Um, but there is a lot of titles to kind of look forward to. Sure uh, that's true. I mean, there there are a few. I mean, we'll, they, we're going to have the champions, which everyone's real excited about that over Marvel, and a, a fair amount of people in San Diego are super excited about that. I really hope people will will give that a chance because I was happy when New Warriors came out, right? And then totally broken down with how it sold terribly. So I'm hoping Champions does better. Right. Well, and it was a good book. I mean, the main thing to know about Champions is if you're reading all new, all different Avengers, that's basically becoming the Champions. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're not moving every single character across because we probably won't see Iron Man every other issue. No. And it doesn't look like we're going to see She-Thor. But all the kid characters, the younger ones, the all-new, all-difference main cast, they're all moving over to that book. Yeah. So if you like what's going on there, chances are you'll be happy with the champions. That's true. So. And Daredevil's world is going to get a lot bigger. They're going to actually give a couple of villains their own titles. So, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. I think you know, when we get to the... Looking at yeah, once know, books start to forward to yeah, the books start coming out. I think it's not it's not these everyone's all humdrum about it, and you know, in all honesty, all it is volumizing again. So yeah. whatever. And I'll say, is it any different than what DC's doing? No, no, it really isn't. It's but, the same. Yeah, it's the same thing. You know, they both just follow suit of each other. It's just a matter of who does it first. So. Yeah. Um, but you know, hey, if you're if you're listening at home and you are wondering about one of these titles, shoot us an email or send us an actual letter. One of the two, it doesn't matter. Either one is good. <laughs> email is better, really. In all honesty, you get a quicker answer. Yeah, it's going to take mean, less time. You might actually hit the next podcast with an email. Right, that's true. <laughs> uh, if you want to email the show, you can email uh, top five podcast at hotmail dot com, which can also be found in the description on our. Uh, Description of our episode, I guess. Okay. I know, yeah, I know it's put in there. But just so people know, top5podcast at hotmail.com. Awesome. Anyway, um, but yeah, as far as that, like like I said, there's a lot of new new stuff, but it's all things that are coming out of Comic-Con, and uh, as far as that, it, just just dig it up online, man. I mean, there's not anything that was... It is cool to see all the previews and see all of them, but as far as like new releases, eh... I mean, there's some cool stuff that came out of it, but it's only cool things to see. So if the trailers aren't up anymore, what's the point? I know the Justice League one's up because I played it this morning, so you should still be able to watch that. Anyway, uh, well, without further ado, I guess we can move on to some books. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Sure, yeah. Sound like a sound like a thing. Yeah. All right. So uh, today we're starting with uh, Batgirl number one. This is the uh, the re- the return of uh, Barbara Gordon. As far as issues are concerned, it's Ralphie Albuquerque doing the art, which is awesome because uh, he's fantastic. Uh, as far as an artist, he did uh, American Vampire, and he's got his hands on a bunch of other like variant covers. He did a book called Huck for Image. Um, writer's Hope, Hope Larson, which. If you've ever been in the store and asked me about the Batgirl series, the end of the previous run of Batgirl, I was not very happy with. I mean, it went from Gail Simone to a couple knuckleheads with a decent artist, and things just plummeted. So, yeah, there's, there's a reason she didn't get a restart, even though those guys wanted to pretend like she did. Right. Yeah, because it's, it's stupid. Yeah, it wasn't going to work. Anyway, um, so with that in mind, I'm much happier with this issue and I was real hopeful with the beginning of that run, but immediately was pissed off at it by the time the second issue dropped. At least this one, I'm pretty happy with. 
So, hey, good on you guys. Hope, awesome, good job. Anyway, so, book opens up, um, and we're in Nan Naha, uh, Okinawa, Japan. And we've got a dude getting smacked around by a, a uh, I don't know, it looks like a schoolgirl clown, kind of? She's got puff, puffy red cheeks, white face, I don't know, I guess you'd call her a, uh, like a, like a China doll? Like a China doll, yeah, like, like, yeah, more like a China doll. So, thank Kill Bill with, uh, the China doll face. And she's, uh, whooping him, and then, out of nowhere, here comes Batgirl, uh, speaking, uh, speaking Japanese, <laughs> and, uh, they, they perforate that by showing you red letters instead of black, and they give you a little, so, so you realize the different languages basically on the color from the first couple panels, because they put a couple symbols in there to explain it to you, sort of, which is really pretty cool. Um, but we jump immediately from there, back to how Barbara got where she is. And basically that starts out with her leaving Burnside, uh, and arriving in, J in Japan, and uh, while she's there, she's basically there to get away from everything from Burnside, which is awesome because she should, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they, sh they should have. Uh, they should have gotten uh, Kimo to just nuke that part of town. Hey, <laughs> that happened once before. I, I mean, Burnside, Bloodhaven. That was the same thing. Yeah. Perfect. Anyway, while she strolls through the uh, through the city, she's we want to find out she's going to be staying at a hostel, which, you know, in my head is questionable just in general, but hey, you know, whatever. She's being an American tourist trying to do the tourist thing. Uh, so she checks into, the, checks into the hostel and winds up meeting one of her roommates. Well, turns out her roommate is this guy she knew way back when they were kids. Now, I don't honestly know if this character's ever showed up in anything ever before or not, um, but, he, but his name is Kai, and uh, they preface it him being around when they were kids, uh, back when Dad used to work in Chicago. Okay. Um, but yeah, but so, so from early days, like stuff pre, all pre Gotham, and uh, they start talking. He's like, "Oh wow, I can't believe you're here, Barbara." And of course, he doesn't speak any Japanese, and he makes that pretty apparent. And he tells her she he's there to tour around the city and take pictures and you know tourist it up. And she explains that she's there to see this this lady and pulls out a, a picture, and the picture is of. A, like a ninja geisha lady, and it, it, the character, the person she is, is, a fr is called the Fruit Bat. And so she has kind of a Batgirl look to her, I mean, not as modern as Batgirl, uh, but she explains that she's a, a vigilante, well, a vigilante or, or a protector of the city from back in 1939. So at this point, it's a, it's a lady that's over 100 years old, and she's there to see her because apparently she's still alive. So Barbara explains that's what she's there to do, is interview this lady and go around and see a bunch of the sights and whatnot. So she uh, tells guys she's hungry to eat, and so the two of them go out to eat, get some food, and of course she convinces him to eat octopus, which, in all honesty, does not taste that bad. It is chewy. Uh, but they go from there to a bar to have a, have a couple drinks, and then from there we wind up getting Kai sick. And so uh, he's uh, off puking, and uh, Barbara goes to meet her, uh, meet her uh, idol lady, who's... At this point, age-wise, I think she's like 113 or something. But she's being pushed around by her son, and Barbara starts talking to her and asking her questions. And the son is very, uh, I don't know, he's very, he's just a jerk. He's very, oh, yeah, yeah, she doesn't get around so well anymore. Like, playing up the idea she's in a wheelchair. And Barbara whispers to her that I was in a wheelchair once before, too, so we have a lot more in common than you know. And we get it as the reader that's because she's Batgirl and the wheelchair thing also. So at least they pay homage to those two things. I thought was cool. 
Anyway, they're they're also there during what's about to happen is a parade, which is the main reason why the why the fruit bats downtown is for the parade. Well, while that's going on, we have uh, Kai go off to uh, take photos of the parade, and then we have the the son, the older guy who's pushing around the uh, the fruit bat in her wheelchair, talk about seeing some pretty lady who's gonna go off and talk to her. Well. As Barbara's finishing her interview questions, all of a sudden she hears a scream, and she's like, that's Kai. So next thing you know, here is Kai on the ground being whooped by this geisha, and we're back at the very beginning of the book. And Batgirl shows up, of course, and gets in the middle of all of it, and the geisha girl's after some type of uh, formula, and Kai's like, I don't even speak Japanese, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't know who you are, what are you looking for? And of course she's whooping him, which is kind of awesome, because he's a big dude. And uh, Batgirl starts you know, fighting her, and eventually... Uh, she proves how much faster she is than Batgirl, and she takes off through the crowd, basically, to escape. Well, in the process of her escaping, Batgirl gets ready to beam her with a ball in order to stop her. And instead, the fruit bat grabs her by the ankle, whoops her to the ground, and basically just whoops the chick. Uh, the chick tries to take her out with, like, a... I don't know, it's almost like a battering, but it's not a battering. It's more like a shuriken or a throwing knife. And the old woman just, just deflects the heck out of the thing winds up using it to cut off the girl's tie, and of course that freaks her out, and she runs away. And so Batgirl's all, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. How'd you deflect that? And she's like, well, I was blocking before it happened. And so Batgirl basically is like, oh, you got to teach me how to do that. And then, of course, the fruit bat has what seems to be a heart attack, is what I think it is. Mm. Um, but she winds up falling down and telling her, you have to find a teacher, you have to find a teacher. And of course, by this point, like, here comes the son running, oh, no, get away from my mom, get away from her, because he doesn't know who Batgirl is. And then we see Kai basically standing in the street watching Batgirl as she batarangs, or no, she bat grapplings away. So from there, we wind up finding out that Barbara gets this idea in her head that she might take some MMA classes, which I think that's where this book's going to go. Because she sees a giant sign that says the future of MMA, and she's basically like, wow, i got to find a trainer. So I think that's where this book's going to lead. But uh, Barbara has one more encounter with Kai back at the hotel, and he basically calls her out for being Batgirl. Because he's like, well, your dad's all tight with Batman, and you have all these watchers and protectors around you, and when I'm with you, I have a protector around me. So he basically calls her out for being Batgirl, and this is the only part of the book that really kind of gets, kind of makes me mad a little bit. Not angry, but not like super pissed, but it, I find questionable. Because she basically just, she doesn't even respond to it really, she's just like, oh hey, you want to go with me to Singapore? Because in her head, she has an internal monologue where she's like, he must be up to something here. Maybe he does have this formula. Like, what's he really doing here? So she always suspects him of being some kind of treacherous asshole. And he calls her out for being Batgirl, but there's no... She's like, oh, you're crazy. Nothing. No. She just lets it roll, and we should go to Singapore together. That'll be cool. Uh, hang on. How many people are going to find out your identity? You have this whole little pack of ladies at the, back at the Burnside... And then, then everybody we already know that's part of the club. I mean, Bruce, the great, all the Robins, Alfred, Penny One, Penny Two, the whole like. Well, Alfred is Penny One, <laughs> but like as far as people knowing who people are, it's like she just doesn't care. She just drops that like. There's no explaining it away. There's no nothing. Like, really, she's just gonna let this uh, another random dude who may be a criminal know who she is again. That part really sticks on me and makes me mad. But the rest of the book's great. Yeah. So as long as they don't continue to play that forward of her being a dumbass, I'll be okay with it. I mean, there's a really, there's kind of a cool line in there where she's talking about leaving everything behind. 
She's like, oh, way to go, Barbara, leaving behind your tech world and all your gadgets and everybody, and, and including 90, 75% of the people want to kill you. So, like, they pay, they pay respect to the idea that she did the Oracle stuff a little bit. I mean, they don't call it out straight, but she talks about the gadgets and everything else and all of her tech world, which only makes sense if they're talking about the Oracle status. And they talk about her being in the wheelchair, so, like, all that stuff lines up and makes sense and fits. So as long as you don't continue down this path where she's like, oh, my next boyfriend, sure, I'm that girl, then I guess I'm okay with it. But it's a dangerous slope, Rob. You want to score for the book? You look at me like we want to score. No, no, I, I agree. It's a, it's a part of that Burnside book that I hated. We took right. a really, really smart character and we made her about as dumb as a brick. And, you know, I, hopefully that's not something that carries over into this story. I have a feeling that... They're going to be slowly bringing her back to the more methodical Barbara that we know. Uh, hopefully this is kind of a cliffhanger thing, and they're going to change it up in the next book. Because I think he did actually respond when she showed her the photo of Fruit Bat, with him thinking it was Batgirl to start with. Yeah, he did. I mean, he's like, here's the Batgirl? Which is, is odd, but they do have a similar look. And if you're, I don't know, not the smartest guy in the world, then that would work. But also, you go from him being looking at a picture that clearly is not Batgirl, like an old photo, grand on a digital device, to at the end of the book, oh, I figured out the secret no one else can figure out. Your dad doesn't know, but I know. Well, maybe it's just a matter of him, you know, being a dumbass, and like that's just a guess, or or not even a guess, like him just talking junk. No, no, I'll give you. I mean, he did see Barbara be there, then the next minute Batgirl be there. So... It makes perfect sense, just like when you see Clark Kent disappear and Superman's there, and you're like, where did Clark go? It, yeah, it's the stuff Lois Lane should have figured out billions of years ago. Well, yeah, he usually, you know, at least said, hey, you're going to go to a job, and then disappear. <laughs> okay, well, bathroom breaks excluded. I'm still going with the idea that regardless of A or B, the idea that he just puts it together without any problem, and she doesn't, it doesn't matter that he's guessed it, yeah, so she doesn't deny it. She doesn't deny it or make a reasoning for it, yeah. whatever. She doesn't explain anything away. She doesn't make any... She doesn't deflect it all. Like, her deflection is, hey, you should go to Singapore with me. Really? Because I guess until you go to Singapore and you put on your bat costume, then he's definitely right. Yeah. You well, might as well true. just told him yes and give him a green card pass to the freaking bat cave. Yeah. Good God. Well, I mean, it's, it's just about as bad as her just leaving the suit out everywhere, like in the previous round. Oh, on Burnside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, you know, we're, we're getting a little better than that. Um, Definitely better than the previous run. So if you didn't, if you were not a fan of the Burnside stuff, I feel like this is a lot better. Now, granted, there are a fair amount of people that like Burnside. Yeah. They, they thought it was fun, and they liked a fun Batgirl. Okay, I don't dislike fun Batgirl. I dislike dumb Batgirl. So when she's dumb, I'm not happy. No, I understand. You know, as far as any of the rest of it's concerned, whatever. The rest of it can be whatever. But we can make her stupid. And I think we've talked about this before, and maybe not on the podcast, but let, if, if this wasn't Barbara, the Burnside stuff would be taken differently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, and if they would have made Burnside like year two, I, mean, I know I've said that on the podcast, if they made Burnside, mm. instead of being the new series Burnside, they would have made it back early year two, it had been fine. It would have been Stephanie Brown. Uh, still, pieces of make me mad, but it would have fit a lot better. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, there's, it's not like it's the worst writing ever, just the worst writing for the character it is. Yeah. If it was a different character, it might have been okay. Yeah. Um, one thing for this story, though, that, that is interesting and I think is going to play into it, and I think you hit on it already anyways, 
was there's a there's a point when they were growing up that I think they got into trouble and um, Jim sits them down and is basically oh. like, there's only two options right. for you know a, a cop's kid right and I I think that's going to be something that maybe plays into the story as we probably go. pretty big parallel we'll leave, we'll leave that for you to read the book because I'm sure it's going to be a parallel to what's happening yeah I think so as well. no doubt. Anyway, um, score-wise, I, I give it a four. I mean, the art's great. The story, the story of writing is good. That last batch of dialogue bugs the hell out of me. But as far as starting place, I'm much happier with this than the previous batch of stuff. So mm. everything from Gail Simone to this point, I consider to be rubbish, and this is much better. So good on you. Uh, I give it a four. You should really check it out, even if Burns, I gave you a distaste in your mouth. Yeah. Uh, Rob, score for the book? Uh, I give it a three and a half, and I I agree the same way. I think if you if you picked up in Burnside, this is still going to be good for you to keep going. You might actually like, oh, sure, see the, yeah. the, the way Bad Girl should be portrayed. But I think the people that were upset with it, I, I think you're totally right. They, this will bring them back to Barbara. So right, this may be a, a good place for both because they don't throw away either piece of of material. I just hope that they don't continue the path of just yeah, yeah. move she, forward or whatever. If she pulls out her bad device and it's the super selfie, her super cell phone again, like no, that's right. going to be a problem. Yeah, I'm going to defeat the villain by taking a selfie. Yeah, it's such yeah. a bright flash. Hashtag stupid. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, uh, yeah, so let's move on to the next book. Hashtag stupid. Like right? Uh, we'll move on to uh, Venom. Venom Space Knight number 10. All right. Tell me a story about Venom. Um, excuse me. Um, we have writer Robbie Thompson, and we got a combination of artists here. We got Jim Jaginto and Arian Anitio. So I'm sorry if I said those wrong, because I probably did. I can't currently see them, so I don't know how to try to pronounce them. I'll give you a chance to take a look. <laughs> All right. All right, so Venom's been doing a lot lately. One of the biggest things is that we've actually gone to the home planet of Venom's species. Uh, one of the big things that we've found out is that Venom was kind of a broken member of his own species. When they're cleansed, they can become like basically champions of the galaxy, where they're called upon to try to right cosmic injustices. Right. We've met a couple of them in this series. Um, previous to this issue, Venom has been taken and cleansed. This allows a couple of different things. One of the biggest things is that it actually allows Venom to be separate from Flash and to be able to activate on his own and be able to do his own things. And then Flash and Venom can actually be two separate entities. <clears throat> so, previous to this issue as well, we found out there's a portion of Venom that has not been cleansed. And has caused all kinds of problems. And has actually tried to lead Flash down a path where he's going to be corrupted. The rest of the kind of like Venom symbiotes have gathered Venom and Flash back up and have hauled him back in for some kind of trial. Well, because you have the trial in your space. That's how it works. There you go. This trial is evidently supposed to be choosing whether or not Venom, the symbiote, is going to be able to uh, live on or they're going to destroy him. So a lot of the issue is actually kind of dealing with 
like Venom and Flash's connection to each other, and whether or not they actually need each other, or actually whether or not Venom needs Flash, and whether Flash has actually felt like he's lived up to being the friend to Venom that he thinks he should be, which is kind of, it's, it's an odd situation for me, because usually Venom does not want to be a separate individual. In the end, we learn a bit about Flash and Venom's connection to each other, and the road that Venom's gone through, but we also learn why he wasn't cleansed. And it actually fades all the way back to the previous Venom series, where that little bit of him left with the teenage girl, and became... It's Mania? Yeah, it became Mania. She still has that portion of Venom. And the curse mark that she has from that story is what's keeping Venom from being able to be purified completely. It's an interesting tie-back. So, um, as we kind of close this series out, Venom and Flash are going to have to figure out how they're going to be able to make things right with Mania, and how they're either going to be taking that symbiote with them, and leaving her to the Curse Mark's ravages, or they can defeat the Curse Mark itself. It's interesting we're going all the way back to that storyline, that's cool. Yeah. So it looks like as we get closer, and I believe Venom Space Knight is going to be wrapping up soon. I think it's one of the ones getting that's going to end, yeah. yeah. As we get closer to that end, we're going to be bringing Mania back in and see what that's going to be like. But it's it's a really enjoyable title. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, let's try that again. <clears throat> it's a really enjoyable issue in that series. Um, the series has kind of been a slow burn up to this point, so I feel like it's gotten a lot better around the last five or six issues. And I really think this is going to like change a new corner for Venom as a character. So, well, it might be the, it, we've gone down the road where we try to turn Venom into a hero before, and I think this is yeah. more legitimately doing that. I mean, they've tried before to, to turn him into what, they, what was the series before? It was Lethal Defender. Yeah. And like Lethal Defender basically made him a good, a good guy for the portion of that story. Um, so I feel like this is a lot leaning that way too. Which, I mean, I guess if they manage to make it work, that's cool. I mean, I do miss the... I still miss the, like, Black Ops look to him. Yeah. But as far as stories are concerned, I guess this is kind of a mix between the two. We may get something totally different if the the Mania, Mania character wanted to stay around, because we haven't really seen her at all. No, not since the, the wrap-up for the previous series. Right. Which, I don't know, that's cool. Uh, it's, it's been interesting. The art is great. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it, there's a few issues that are sort of slow burn in the middle. Yeah. Well, I think it was setting up for this, this story, right. and they really had to like break a lot of new ground, but they also spent a lot of time building these kind of very strange alien sub-characters that are in that story, Right. and I think that kind of like, I don't know, kind of hurt the overall story. Maybe. Um, Rob's score for the book? Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I'd give it a three and a half. I think it was a great spot for, for Venom. Like I said, the artwork on it is fantastic. I like a lot of what they're coming out of in the story. It's a nice tie back to the previous series. So, Right. Um, yeah, I follow too. I give it a three and a half also. I mean, I, I like when they lend back to other things that have happened before just because it makes everything a unified batch of universe. Whether you read that storyline or not, I mean, they give you a pretty good overview of how things happen there. So... I don't feel like you had every that series to understand. But granted, it was a pretty cool series. So if you went yeah. back to check it out, I mean, uh, the whole four crossover, you got X-23 in there. It, it was pretty good. I, I like that one. Anyway, yeah, so I give it a three and a half also. Um, good stuff. Was, but, I mean, like you said, it is going to end pretty soon, so... 
I guess we'll see how they wrap it up and what, where they go from there. Yeah, it definitely looks like it. If this is where they're going for their clothes, it's going to be a big clothes. It's going to be really good. Right. All right. Uh, let's move on to ROM number one from uh, IDW. And ROM's uh, written uh, and, and plotted by uh, Christos Gage and Chris Ryle. Uh, pencils uh, and inks, or sorry, pencils and colors are by David uh, Messina. Great looking art. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know Mr. Rom, uh, he originally started out back over in Marvel. Uh, originally created, well, he's a Hasbro property. So Hasbro Toy Line made a toy. They said, who made, we need a story for this toy. Who makes stories? So they went to Marvel. Marvel made a story for the for Rom. So he ran around throughout the late 70s and 80, early 80s touching every book that really, like, uh, there's so many cameos in ROM books, there's so many ROM cameos in other books. It's crazy. Yeah, for a second, he was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, but just like the the Transformers and the G.I. Joe properties, eventually the, the contract expired and the rights just went back to Hasbro and then they ended over at Marvel with nothing happening. Same thing happened to Star Wars. Now, eventually, the IDW picked back up G.I. Joe and the whole group of them. So, and now we have a giant thing getting ready to happen over there where they're making one universe that's all the Hasbro universe. So we're tying in things like ROM, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mask, all into one universe, which is going to be pretty freaking interesting. Yeah. Uh, but this particular book starts out with just ROM. Now, if you if you did see the ROM uh, Free Comic Day preview, which we did review on the podcast, so I'm going to skip past that section. That is reprinted in the beginning of this book, so you basically get that again. Uh, so you get a second take at it in order to not miss anything. Most books don't do that. So I'm going to say that's a bonus if you didn't get to read any of it before. Because otherwise, what had happened before, at least two of the characters, you wouldn't even know who they were. Yeah. But uh, So that's a pretty cool thing. But I'm going to skip past that simply because we already did a podcast with it in there. Um, anyway, so we get to the uh, first page of the new material. And it's uh, Rom... I think they're calling it Earthfall as the title of the story. And uh, the first thing we see is this, is, a, is an Air Force base. Uh, it's Vandenberg Air Force Base by name. And we've got one of the soldiers that was previously ran into Rom uh, out in the uh, the campfire like beach desert area when he first showed up on Earth and started taking out dire wraiths. And it turns out this particular soldier was one of the very few humans in the group, uh, whereas the other half of them were all dire wraith shape changers, uh, disguised as, of course, human soldiers. And so he's being interrogated by a batch of three characters all dressed up in kind of, I don't know, they're sort of like action fatigue space gear, kind of. Their costumes are a little questionable to me, but as far as what they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be the Earth Defense Command people, so they're dressed to go into space, I guess. And they continue to interrogate him and ask him questions over and over again, and he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I can't be clear about it. He's like, but there's no way that, I mean, there's there's no way that all these things are on Earth. We would have seen them by now. And during his uh, interview, eventually they get tired talking to him. They start talking to each other. And there's a weird tint to what's being said. Uh, well, next thing you know, it turns out that they're diarrhea also. And uh, they pretty well, from off camera, we believe they kill him. Um, and then replace him. <laughs> We cut straight from there to uh, our buddy Rom, who's out flying around surveying this countryside using his uh, his uh, his uh, 
neutral the, the new scanner isn't the it? scanner well he's using the scanner which I mean the neutralizer his his gun has a scanner feature and transforms actually mm -hmm. but he's uh, basically surveying the countryside looking for spots that have dire wraiths and he finds this one particular area that's got a giant concentration of dire wraiths and so he's like I should probably go and get a better look from there we want to be introduced to uh, this new character uh, which she's it's it's a female female military girl, and she's back home visiting family, and uh, like they they I don't think we've seen her before. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, it's Dar Darby is her name, um, but she's uh, she's home visiting. So she wants some normalcy in her life because apparently whatever she's seen when she was in Iraq is something was too much or whatever whatever it is she's gone through. She needed some normalcy, and now she's talking to her family. Her family seems very supportive, but almost in a weird way. And uh, as that goes on, eventually she they they're in the park wandering around, and they're like, "Well, we always know when you were a kid, you used to love to run around the park." And mom talks about how she had to drag her home by her pigtails, and so that it, it's a pretty I don't know, it's not like overly touching or anything, but it's almost like the family doesn't know how to deal with her because now she's back from the military, which is off-putting. Anyway, uh, she gives mom a hug, and about that time, dad comes up and puts his hand on the back of her head, and he's he's asking her. Well, what kind of access do you have over over Vandenberg? And she's like, oh, well, when I'm on leave, Dad, it's not like I've been fired. I mean, everything's the same. And he's like, well, that's good. And about that time, you see her get these weird flashes in her in her head that things aren't right. And she sort of freaks out and kind of gets standoffish with the family. And they're all like, oh, sorry, sorry, we didn't mean to surround you and give you, P you know, PTSD flashbacks. Sorry. Well, about that time, um, Ron decides to reveal himself. And he makes it known to us um, that... Everyone there, save her, is a dire wraith. And there's a bunch of dire wraith stuff that he doesn't seem to see. And, of course, he starts neutralizing and blasting the crap out of everybody. And all she's seeing is her family getting blasted by this guy. And so, uh, as that's happening, we have a whole bunch of bystanders come running over. And they're like, oh, look, it's this guy with body armor with a gun. And they start taking, taking out their cameras and shooting video and... Mom's down on her knees crying, and Darby's, she, she basically, Mom, we have to run. And she's like, there, there is nowhere to run, not from him. And about that time, she gets melted away, too. So Mom basically just takes everybody out. And then as he looks around, he realizes that all the people in the park are also dire wraiths. And one of them actually says something about, he, like he, he announces it, because that's what Rom does. He announces things. And one of the guys is like, oh, there's too many of us for you to spray, Space Knight. And they all start running away. Well, as they're running away, they're all shooting video of him. And they're they're saying things in the video like, oh, no, it's a space monster. Oh, he killed those people. And Rom realizes what it is. It's propaganda trying to make him look bad to people. So no different than, like, during the war when they send out flyers that basically were to make you believe that the enemy is who you're fighting. And so uh, he starts neutralizing folks, and about that time, you start seeing the trees start to change. And this is something new to Rom, and he's not really happy about it happening. Um, but he's badass, so he gets out of it, and he starts looking around, and he's like, man, there's so many dire wraiths, I, I, I'm going to have to stay. I mean, he basically just decides to torch the entire town. And he's like, hmm, I should really look to see about the humans. And apparently there's only one human, which is Darby. And so he saves her, and he torches the entire town without any regard at all. I mean, he does scan everywhere, and so apparently the only person in the entire town that was still human was her.
And from what we can see from the family, apparently we're going to turn her too, or kill her and replace her, or whatever. Anyway, so she initially starts fighting Rom, and she's talking all kinds of trash to him, and he's like, he's like, you need to be careful, otherwise you're going to hurt yourself. And she's like, you killed my family. He's like, your family was already dead. And he explains to her about the diorates and stuff, and of course she's freaking out and crying, because it's a crazy spaceman telling you stories. Anyway, uh, at one point she does, she asks him, well, did they do this to your family? He's like, they did much worse to my planet and my family. And that's why I'm here to destroy them. That's what I do. I'm, I'm wrong. I, I, I kill things. Anyway, we get, a, we get a little farther, and then we flash back to another character we met in the preview. Uh, the One of the police officers that showed up in, during the initial encounter with the diorates. And she wakes up in the, on the beach, basically. Um, she had run away from the event happening. Once the diorates started whipping tentacles around and stuff, she freaked out and took off. Her partner got killed, the other officer, um, and so there wasn't anything she could do, so she basically ran. Well, she gets a call, and it's from the chief, and the chief wants to know where she's at. And while she's listening to the chief talk, all of a sudden she starts hearing the chief's voice saying other things than what he's saying to her. Basically talking about she's still alive, we have to get her. And it's not like the chief being helpful or the chief being the chief, it's another voice. And she hears it somehow. Now granted, whenever they had the initial fight, she got whipped in the head by one of the tentacles, and it, it says something about marking her. And then that's when she belled. So whatever's happened to her has made her be able to sort of glean things from what's happening, which I think is the same thing Darby's got going on. How that happens, don't know. But they've been affected somehow to where they can sort of sense the rates or hear what's really happening. Whether they can see what's really happening or not, good question. Anyway, so we go a little bit farther. Um, some other well, there's some other stuff that happens. There's a pretty big catch at the end of this is going to lead to that whole crossover world thing, which I'm going to leave off. It's a really big catch. Like, if you're a fan of any of the Hasbro titles, it's a really big catch. Um, and of course it sets up how we believe the Diorates are going to try to deal with Rom. Um, so, yeah, anyway, as far as books are concerned, I'm pretty, pretty freaking happy with this issue. Um, with this issue. My words slurred together there for a second. Um, I, I would give it a four and a half. I mean, I like the art. I like what they're doing with the story. I like that Rom's back. So, like, for me, I, I'm a pretty big fan of Rom. So, that might just be the Rom talking, but I give it a four and a half. Rob, score the book. I, I follow up with a four. I think it's actually really, really well done. I love the artwork for it. The only thing I don't really like is that his, his armor kind of just magically produces whatever he needs, but, you know, whatever. That's a small thing to complain about. I kind of think it's uh, any of these people that have almost been taken by a diorath are like now able to like clean things from the hive mind of the diorathes or whatever. Maybe because they're aware of it or whatever? Maybe, or maybe it's just like there's a little bit of wraith in them now. So they kind of are, like, they can see more than, than normal people can. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the, with Darby, she definitely got whipped in the head with that thing and, like, drew, like, blood and everything. Yeah. So, as far as, like, that's concerned... Prior to that, she had no idea because she showed up with uh, the, with uh, the the other officer, and she didn't have any effect from the military guys that were there at all, whether they were human or whether they're not human. Yeah, no, so it she, wasn't until things went completely crazy that she even saw anything different. Yeah, it's definitely something to do with the race physically contacting a human. Right, but they also make some hints about what Rom's past is, and so. I think that's pretty cool. I don't know if we'll ever see that in the story, but I have a feeling they might. Right. But we'll see. We'll see. 
Anyway, good book. Uh, you should really check it out. There's a lot of different covers for it, so it's good stuff. You should you really give it a look. It's pretty awesome. All right, so uh, we will move on to Titans number one. And this is the issue one of Titans, not the Rebirth issue. Yes. As uh, I had stated earlier incorrectly. But it is it is a fantastic issue. The uh, Rebirth one and, and this one. Both. Both both good stuff. Anyway, Rob, uh, you want to tell us a story about the Titans? Yeah, it's uh, written by Dan Abnett. Mm-hmm. With art by Brett Booth. So, um, as we count up after after the rebirth, number one, Wally West is back, and he's brought in the memories of all the core Titan members. So, from there, Lilith is trying to basically get an idea from Wally's mind who is the person who's took this time away from them. And whether or not she can gain any you know, extra knowledge about the time that has been missing. Well, anything that what, what's causing what's happened from his subconscious. She's basically trying to read his mind to see if there's anything in there he doesn't fully have access to or whatever. Yeah. In the end, all that she's really getting is his connection to... Uh, Linda? Linda. Yeah. Uh, until you know later in the story, which we'll probably let that slide, but Linda... Although she doesn't remember Wally West, she remembers him coming and talking to her. And she's a kind of a internet news release person, so like she, she's kind of like a story junkie right now. So, I don't know, she might actually be a big problem for him later, because he told her his name and everything. Man, yeah, well, at this point, he doesn't exist in this universe, so I, I guess it'll be interesting to see. Uh, that's all stuff that happened over in the uh, in the flashpoint or the uh, the rebirth DC rebirth universe issue. Mm-hmm. So like this is all stuff that we're just basically rehashing having happened and now seeing which direction the two of them go. Because with when we meet up with her, she's basically replaying it happening to her, and is like, man, this is a new speedster. This is a pretty big story. This is a huge thing. And he appeared to me, and she's still freaked out about it. But she's like, I got no answers. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, very reporterish, I guess. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that's going to play into this story. Right. Um, but we get a lot of the interaction between the, the main core characters in this story, uh, especially how Arsenal, Donna, and Garth kind of react with each other. Um, and one of the big things that kind of is going on in the story is uh, Diana being all upset about not knowing what this, this thing is and that it's so vague. And there's actually a kind of cool little part here, and I wish Ross was here, because he could probably shed light on this real easily. But um, they're trying to figure out a name to call the thing, so that it's not so ominous. And Uncle Lad um, says, well, we could call it Kilblix, or Kilblue. <laughs> Kilblue. 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 Let's, let's go with Kilblue. And uh, Dana just, like, starts ripping on him about it, because it sounds like such an awkward and stupid name. And ultimately, like, he eventually lets off that it was a dolphin that was really mean to him when he was a kid. Right. And so I kind of wonder if that's some Golden Mary stuff that they just knuck out. You know, it's possible, I guess. I, I don't know enough about Garth in his early days, so I'm going to have to leave that to, to Ross for next time. You'll have to maybe explain that. But um, they finally get the idea in their head that one of the other people that was brought out in this story was Mammoth. And it, those of us who have been Titans fans for a while know that Mammoth was one of the big counterforces to the Titans. So, yeah, he's, just, a, he's a villain they dealt with a couple, of, several yeah. times. Yeah, uh, he and 
I can't remember what they call their little group, but it doesn't matter. Either way, they're, they're, they decide they've got to look for Mammoth and see if they can find in his mind any information. Right. So Arsenal and Deanna and Garth go to take care of that. And we kind of get some interesting stuff with Roy and him, him kind of talking about like the, the issues in his past, the things that he kind of wished he could forget. We kind of think they're throwing back pieces to the old storyline, which we, we get some of that stuff in Red Hood and Arsenal. We get some of that stuff in Red Hood and the Outlaws. But I think it's just rehashing that it's something that happened. So it's ironing it out for people that may have read those books. Yeah. If this is the first book you picked up that has Arsenal in it, they're basically telling you, yeah, he had, he had a problem with drugs, um, he beat it, and he doesn't want to be a problem for anybody else, but he understands how the system works. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. The interesting thing for that is that Deanna, or Donna, sorry, Donna really feels like, oh, there's so much missing, and I'm, I'm such a, I'm like less of a person because of the stuff that's missing. And a lot of her past is not very good. But she also has a very different past in New 52, but it's kind of interesting to see them play those two ideals off each other, and I wonder how much of that past they're going to actually give back. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But when you say not very good, you don't mean not good writing. Why do you mean that a lot of bad stuff happened oh, yeah. to the lady? She had a lot. She kind of dies and comes back with, in not good ways. No, well, yeah. Death and children and family and yeah. Yeah, all kinds of things that are bad, bad news for her. Um, but before this book ends, we wind up actually having this whole point where Lilith finds something inside of Kid Flash's mind that sparks her to think she she may have uncovered whoever is behind this. The super big answer, which we save for later, because it's a pretty big shock at the end yeah. of the book. Yeah, it pretty much just leads them to Keystone, and so we will see from there. But, uh, yeah, Titans, I think, is going to be really important to the overall storyline for Rebirth. Um, and Wally West is fantastic, so I've, I've really enjoyed what they've done with it so far. Yeah, it's been pretty good. The, re the return of, of the old school Wally West has been really cool, yeah. so I'm pretty happy with that stuff too. But yeah, there, there is a catch at the end of that book, and the catch is what we're leaving, so yeah. if you, if you want to know what happened, you got to get the book. Come on, that's how it works. Uh, Rob, you got a score for that book? Um, I really enjoyed it. I'd give it... I'd give it a three and a half. Um, I think the only thing that I didn't think was quite right was Donna seems a lot more flighty, like or more childish, than I think she's usually depicted. But the New Fifty Two version of her, we really don't have a whole lot of knowledge to build on. So yeah, she kind of started out as a weird villain type thing at the beginning of it, so or whenever she first showed up, which again is all memory weirdness. So to know more about memory weirdness, you need to check out the the, the what led to this, which is Titans Hunt. So. Yeah. That stuff led to this stuff, and yeah, if you want twist and stuff. more back, yeah, you got to go back to there and to get a couple more of those pieces ironed out for you. Uh, anyway, uh, we asked score-wise, you know, I give it a three. Uh, the art's good, the story's not bad. Um, some interesting stuff happening there. I don't really have the same feeling about the whole Donna thing. I mean, yeah, she's come and gone, and like her, as far as that, I think it's just the take on her personality, but. Answers-wise, like you said, I don't know how much of that they're going to try to put back in there because it's... I mean, she's got a pretty convoluted past as far as things that have happened. Yeah. I mean, major events, and they're like, we got to kill somebody. And they're like, ah, oh, that Donna girl. Yeah. she got to go. And so, like, she's had multiple deaths and returns, and there's a return in 52, the series called 52, which was the 52 issues. 
then New 52, and so, like, as far as Death and Returns, the girls had a lot of it. Yeah, I, honestly, this has the two biggest punching bags for DC, because you got Arsenal, who is, like, every time you need to have a social issue that things go terribly south, oh, yeah, he's the one, and then anytime we need to make an impact and kill somebody off, oh, there's, the, there's Donna. Yeah, that's true. So, like, you kind of have those two punching bags in this book. Right. Social commentary type things. Anyway, uh, it's a good book. So, story-wise, I think, uh, I don't know. It's got some interesting stuff happening in it. I guess we'll see where it winds up going. If this leads to the end-all, be-all of who's actually responsible, it'll be really crazy if they pick the Titan book to do it in. But it, it could be, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think Titan's going to be really important. In the long scheme. It has been so far. I mean, the whole return, this is the only book we're really getting Wally in. I mean... That's true. We, Barry's in the Flash book, and Wally's pretty much only in this book, so... Yeah. And John loves himself some Wally West, <laughs> which is fine. Not inappropriately, I don't think. Well, it's hard to say that he loves himself some Wally West. Just because of the Barry Allen nonsense. Don't get me wrong. I mean, as far as writing's concerned... A majority of people don't really know Barry Allen. No. Like, the New 52 stuff, okay, I'll give you that. If you've been reading books for only five years, then yeah, you know you know Barry Allen. If you watch the Flash TV show, you know a version of Barry, Barry Allen. But if you watch the Justice League animated series, you're watching Wally West. That's true. If you're reading prior to New 52, you're mostly reading Wally West. Yeah. Wally was actually the Flash longer than Barry was. Yeah, right. Yeah. Even with his five years tacked onto the end. No. Yeah, exactly. So chances are, most of what you know about the Flash is Wally West Flash, not Barry Allen. Not that ex- makes excuses for anything, but regardless, Wally's badass. He's it's a funny one. You want the one that jokes? It's Wally, not Barry. Barry's not funny. That's true. <sighs> anyway, um, let's move on to... Uh, Uncanny okay. X-Men, number 10. Who's leading this show, mister? Sorry. Uncanny X-Men, number 10. Rob, tell me, sir, about the X-Men. <laughs> well, this series is being written by Cullen Bunn, and this issue we have art from Ken Lashley. Sweet. Uh, this is actually wrapping up a, a bigger storyline. This is one of the issues that, for older fans of Uncanny X-Men, is fantastic. It is also one of the issues that people cite over and over and over again, oh, I can't read X-Men, they're confusing, this stuff too much in the past. This book really has a lot of content, but it is a lot of content that you'd actually have wanted to be reading X-Men for a while to understand completely. I don't think it's too difficult for people who haven't been to come into a story like this, but I can understand the complaint for it. So, there's going to be a lot of these characters that if you're interested in knowing more about, once again, you can hit us up on email, or whenever you come by the store, you can always talk to us. There's been a lot of things that have happened with Archangel and Angel. This particular story, uh, we were bombarded very early with Angel going off and having his wings amputated again and joining like this weird religious cult or church. Sure. Where he was kind of turning his back on being a mutant and trying to be more spiritual. Well, ultimately he was taken advantage of. These people were harvesting his wings that have Apocalypse's DNA in them, and creating like a whole army of archangels, basically. It sounds like a thing to do. I mean, if you have lots of pieces, you just make lots of things. It's true. Alright. In the end, Archangel and Warren Worthington, Angel wind up actually separating 
from one another. Which is bizarre. Yes. The Archangel winds up leading all of these new angels, and they're basically going to wash the earth clean, led by Apocalypse's son. In the story, uh, Psylocke is trying to make contact with him, with the Archangel, and like bring him back to his senses. In doing so, she realizes that basically he's like a, an empty shell. Angel, angel needs Warren, and Warren needs the angel. They're two pieces of one coin, and that's kind of one of the things that has to be fixed in the story. Which is still a super bizarre concept in general, I think. It is. And it, it makes sense the way that it's told in the story. Well, yeah, I mean, they explain it pretty fine. I mean, they explain it pretty thoroughly. It's just really crazy. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that, like, if you haven't been paying attention to him in the Uncanny series up to this point... Like, it could be really tricky. Well, I mean, some of this stuff started a ways back. I mean, they were even dealing with it during the uh, the Uncanny X-Force. I yes. mean, there's pieces in there where they were trying to decide which which version of him they were dealing with. So even then, he was having the dual personality problems, whether it was Angel or Ark. Yeah. So this isn't something new. It's just crazy when they split them apart. Yeah. So the idea that both personalities have been in there, that's been going on for, like, the last, I don't know, five years? Something like that, yeah. Because, I mean, it was in that Uncanny X-Force batch of books when we had Deadpool running around with Wolverine, Psylocke, and Angel, and Phantom Mask. I mean, all that, they were dealing with that back then, too. Yeah. So this isn't, like, a new thing they're dealing with. It's just new to have them separate, which is crazy. Yeah. Anyway, I'll stop. Go on. <laughs> uh, we also reveal one of Magneto's little secrets, which is that he has his X-Men that he's showing the world, which are, like, some of the more brutal X-Men. So, I mean, Magneto is already pretty strong, but he's got Sabretooth, Psylocke, um, the Angel, all of his is his actual face X-Men. Well, he's had Mystique and Phantom Mass running around doing stuff in covert all this time that he's never told the rest of them about. And, I mean, his whole thing was he's basically following what Scott's lead was, you know, make a big splash. We're the X-Men. Don't mess with everybody else. If you want to mess with us, come, come to these guys. But he has a big showdown with Apocalypse's son, uh, which they, they renamed. He's not Holocaust anymore, which is good. <laughs> there were some people who had issues with that name. You know, I don't remember what his other name is. Uh, I know I read it just recently and it split out of my mind because I still see him and I go, oh, it's Holocaust. Yeah, it's, it's in the books. Um, but... The other thing that we run into in this... Genocide. Yeah, much better. Oh, right. <clears throat> there you go. Um, the other thing that we run into this book is that Implate has shown back up. Now, Implate is another one of those ones that you might need to come and, and talk to somebody about, or, or Wikipedia or something. He's a very complicated character, but he's been evidently down feeding on all the mutants that have remained in the sewers, the, the new generation of Morlocks. He's made... Uh, M has gone to deal with him, and she's made a deal with him that if he stops feeding on them, she'll give him her body. Which basically Implant's whole deal is that he needs a live mutant to feed on. The more powerful the mutant is, the longer he can stay with them. In fact, he can actually even merge with them. Um, Implant is also strange in that he has to feed on mutant energy to stay within our reality. Otherwise he falls into like a kind of astral plane. So, he and M kind of have their big showdown 
And it looks like at the end, Aim is able to defeat him. But... You never know. He might He might not be gone yet. Um, and, of course, the... I guess the final fate of what's going to happen with Angel and Archangel is decided in the story. Not... I'm not gonna like spoil anything with like Archangel is not dead, but where we're gonna go with him from this story on is revealed in this issue, and it's gonna change the way that Angel and Archangel is gonna be viewed for quite a while down the road. But the other half of this is that we're gonna be seeing a direction change in the story because Psylocke is dealing with now knowing that Magneto has been running a covert group this whole time, and it's a matter of basically for her, whether or not she can still be a part of the of the Uncanny X-Men, or whether or not Magneto's going to come completely full out with what his agendas are and what his plans are. She's not going to have people giving secrets. No. Is her main problem. No. And, of course, we'll have another secret in here with Sabretooth and his connection to M. Bum, bum, bum. So, there's a lot of really good stuff that comes in this book, but it is very heavy X-lore. Um, the cool thing for me, reading this book, it felt like everything that, you know, had come before in the Claremont era, where we really were building on everything that had come before, and you really needed to keep up on your X-Men lore to really like what these stories were. But the stories also has an incredible amount of gravity. What happens in this issue is not going to be washed away two issues down the road. There's going to be big changes, and they're going to affect these characters all the way up until the point where Bun leaves this series. So, um, I think this is a more legit attempt at doing the kind of like uh, big target X-Men. You know, um, and it seemed like an odd cast when they first announced it. But I see where they were going now. But this is a great wrap-up to the the Archangel storyline. And it's a great story for X-Men. So, I guess the, the good thing is if you, if you haven't been following X-Men a whole lot, Eleven's going to be a great place to jump in. If you have been an X-Fan for a while and you just thought the stories were kind of lackluster, jump back in over at 8, because the story... Blows it out. Right, so they kind of move forward with it. Yeah, they've they've done a fantastic job. Ten is the wrap up. If you like Archangel, you need to read this issue because it's going to change him. So, cool. Uh, Robin, want to get a score for that book? Um, I'm actually I'm going to give it a four. Uh, I'm not super wild about this artist. Very good hand. You know, the book looks good. It's just not as good as I would like. But Colin Bunn is a fantastic writer, and this story totally caught my interest and kept me for it. So I, I give it a strong four. So cool. Um, well, I, I give it, I give it three and a half. I mean, the the writing's good. The art is, the art's good too. It's just, I mean, like you said, you'd like something a little more flashy, which is, is whatever. Yeah. But Colin Bunn's a great writer, and and, and, and art, like I don't, I don't dislike the art. It's fine. <laughs> That's, that, that good, art is by taste, and so, yeah. so is writing. It's, everything is subject to your own personal limbs and whatever. No, it truly is. So, you know, roll the dice, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I give, it a, I give it a three and a quarter. Is that, that I, what did I say first? I think you said 
three and a half, but I don't. I don't. All right, we'll go three and a half. That's fine. You can go three and a quarter if you want. There's no one here to argue with me. You can go four if you want. I can go to five if I want. But I'm gonna go three. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to three and a half. Okay. Because I don't think there actually is a five. I don't think that's really true. That's the top. Yeah. It's at the top of the top. It's just like having. Had... It's just like when you think about ladies, and if you, you go to a perfect ten, there's just no such thing. I mean, you add the personality in there. There's never a person. There's never a perfect ten. Not ever. As soon as you start to get them talking, it's a problem. I, I think what you're trying to say is that there's no such thing as perfection. Oh, that's what that's what I mean. Yes. Yeah. See, it's a good thing you're here to straighten things out for people. Yeah. Get the iron out. I, I think we've done. Fix I think it. we've had five. But I mean, yeah. If, if you give five to everything. Yeah, it doesn't have any value. Yeah, so. That's a good point. But no, I, I'm i a huge X-Men fan, so you already know that. I'm probably going to give it a higher score anyways, but... Well, there's that. So all the scores don't <laughs> matter. Uh, keep score at home if you want. <laughs> anyway. The game show would push to matter. You just decide things for yourself. Right, it's pretty much how it works. Here's the card. Yeah. <laughs> Drew Carey. Yeah, you know. Spay and neuter your pets. That's... So it's a different game show. That's still Drew Carey now. No, that's true, it is. He took it over. Well, that's, that's enough of that, Rob. <laughs> All right, so, uh, God. Well, from that, let's move on to an uh, interview with uh, Mr. Jim Shooter. Oh, please, yeah. Uh, if, uh, if you aren't aware of Jim Shooter's uh, past in comics, chances are most of the stuff that exists that you've read exists because of this man. So uh, here's an interview with him. Uh, good times. Right, this is Steve with Top 5 Comics Podcast, and I'm here with... Uh, Jim Shooter. Right? I mean, Shooter, Jim, man, you, you've been, like, as far as comics are concerned, there's stuff that you did, so, you started 13, 14 years old. 13. 13 years old, and, like, there's so much of this world around you that if you hadn't worked on, wouldn't be here, man. It, Thanks a lot. That, that's very nice. Well, say. seriously, man, look at it. Like, all this stuff around us. You were doing this when you, like, we were knee-high to... I, I mean, as far as, now granted, like you said earlier, we were talking a little earlier, and like you said, it was a different world then. But seriously, like, this thing that you was around you, did you ever think this would be what it was when you were 13 years old? You're, like, going to the office to draw comic books, which is awesome. Did you ever think it'd be this kind of thing? No, in fact, I never thought I'd be in the comic book business. I, I just did that to earn some money for my family. I, I was, I was, I thought I was going to be a scientist. I, I took six years of science and four years of high school. Oh, and I took a special after 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 school science class that, that was called biology research for you had to qualify for it and everything. And uh, for four years, so I essentially took ten years of science in high school, and I took all the math they offered, five years of math. I had to go to summer school one time to take math. I was going to be a scientist, and this. Was just a way to make money. I enjoyed it. I loved it. But you know, I mean, I, I had other other ambitions. Other plans of mine. But then, uh, you know, uh, years later, I found myself still writing comics and was working. So I stuck with it. <laughs> that is kind of that's freaking awesome. Like, it's, yeah, that's really that's really that's awesome, man. Well, you've done Marvel, DC, edited tons of books, man. Like yeah. so much stuff that you've had your hands on. I mean, property-wise, I know like they're all your kids. One can't be a favorite. But do you have a favorite? Out of curiosity? You know, I get asked that all the time, and, and I, you're right. I've worked at DC and Marvel, and, and there's three of my own companies, and I worked at Dark Horse, and you know, went back to the other companies a couple times. Um, so I've, I've dealt with a lot of characters. Right. And, and uh, you know, here's this is the corny answer, but it's true. When when I'm writing a particular character, whatever it is, 
Like, so let's say Captain America. I almost can't think of anything but Captain America. To me, Captain America is the greatest thing ever, and I love it, and I love it, and I love it, and nothing else matters. Okay. You know, because if you don't get that investment in the character, I don't think you can really get that emotional, you know, uh, uh, that visceral feeling that you want the readers to have. You okay. Know? I mean, and uh, uh, so, I, so it's, it's like whoever I'm working on at the time is my favorite. If I had to back the camera up and say, all right, look at it all, pick one, I'd probably end up with either Harbinger, which I did at Valiant, or Spider-Man. And I also have a special soft spot for the Legion superheroes because that's where I started. Right, right, for sure. Well, and the Legion, my younger brother, Legion is his favorite thing in the world. Seriously. Lightning Lad, all of them, and Phantom Girl, all of them. It's a fun script. It's young heroes. It's in the future, so you can you can get wild and crazy. Right. And, uh, and when I was at DC, there was no continuity among DC books. You could read super, all the Superman stories in any order. didn't matter. But I was the only guy writing a book that took place in the future. So I owned the future. That's and, and so I could do my own continuity and not interfere with anybody. So I, my Legion books started, not the first couple, but, but then I started doing continuity and having people remember what happened last issue and stuff like that. And uh, uh, so it was, it was a kind of a unique situation. It was also unique in the fact that I was very young when I started. Uh, I was the same age as the Legionnaires. Oh, and, wow, yeah. And um, I was the same age as a large segment of the audience, and we all grew up together. That is Never kind of, happened again. Wow, that is, that's kind of freaking amazing, actually. Yeah, I never really it. thought about that before at all. That's, wow. That's really kind of, that's crazy, man. Yeah, it really, yeah. Uh, writing a book for an audience you were part of the audience of with kids that were the audience. Yes. Wow, that is, <laughs> man, that is... Uh, that was crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, when I was new, I, I really didn't know how to write. They were training me. I was doing it on instinct, dumb luck, and, and, and the fact that I'd read 5,000 comic books. And I, kind of, <laughs> I kind of figured out, you know, like, what how, how it usually goes. Uh, but, so when I was trying to give these uh, Legionnaires character, um, I started borrowing from my schoolmates. And I thought I was cheating. I thought, oh, if they ever find out. You know, but but that's what everybody does. I, I, I later. So that was kind of funny. And, uh, you know, I, I modeled Bouncing Boy after a, 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 kind of, a kid a little overweight, uh, was smart and funny and. and Bouncy Boy called himself the self-appointed chief of morale. I mean, he's Bouncy Boy. How serious can you take right. him, right? Right, And uh, uh, so uh, it was, uh, you know, and, uh, that helped me because then I could think, like, well, this guy's his initials were TK. Everybody called him T-Kettle. Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh, I, I would always have to, all I would do is think, well, what would, what would T-Kettle say, you know? And, you know, it helped me uh, develop the personalities. Yeah, man. And then, like I said, I was afraid they'd catch me. <laughs> That's freaking awesome. So Harbinger is one of the other favorites. Yeah. Now, have you paid attention to the new, any of the new stuff coming out from the Return Valiant? I haven't read it yet. Okay. Not bad. It's all right. Yeah. Um, I completely lost my train of thought, Jim. Well, Harbinger is, is an interesting story. If you want to hear about that. I yes, mean, please. I was originally hired by Paramount Pictures to write a treatment for a movie okay. called Harbinger. And uh, what they wanted, what they asked me for was, could I do some a, a group of young superheroes? I said, yeah, I, I think sure. I can do that. Yeah. And uh, so I, I wrote this treatment, and I sent it to the people, the, the head of production at Paramount, a lady whose name escapes me at the moment. And 
she called me and she said, I, I love this. It's great. It's perfect. And she said, okay, get on a plane. Fly out to L.A. We're going to talk about it. I said, all right. So they flew me out to L.A. And I go to her office. And she, she has this sitting on her desk. This very, well, yeah, this is the original. She had a copy of this sitting on the desk. And she's tapping on it. She says, we love this. It's excellent. It's perfect. And then she says, however... We just signed a seven-picture deal with Eddie Murphy. And she hands it to me. She says, so could you make it into a comedy? Oh, my gosh. And I said, no. And I just took it and left. <laughs> oh, so my anyway, gosh. Years later, when I started Valiant, uh, it, it, I used it as one of the Valiant properties. And it's all based on this. And, in fact, this is more or less the plot for uh, um, Harbinger Zero. That's crazy. Because yeah, I, I, my storyline in the regular books picked up kind of where this leaves, leaves off. And so wow. this became zero. Man. Yeah. Secrets behind the comic. Right. Well, original movie treatment to comic book. That's for, crazy. For well, I mean, I wasn't going to turn Harbinger into a comedy vehicle for Eddie Murphy. Well, no. Thanks, you know, yeah. Man. Man. Anyway, um, so uh, so that's how that came about, and then and it was I, I created it all on all on my own in 1988. I drew the very first image that was uh, Harbinger. We used it for an ad. We didn't have anybody, so I sure. Drew it. Bob Layton inked it, and you know he cleaned it up and made me made it look you know <laughs> more or less professional. It's, you know I don't draw all that well, and. Uh, um, and then, and then we liked this image so much, we actually used it as the cover for the first issue, except we had David Lapham doctor up, make it prettier. Okay. You know, and he did. And then uh, uh, Bob reinked certain pieces of it that David, you know, touched up the faces, he moved some guy's arm, you know, things, things like that. Right, right, finishing uh, stuff, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was, it was, it came out really good. And to this day, people like, they love that cover. They, 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 they think of that cover as, as a, um, you know, kind of a, a classic from the, the Valiant. Well, it's kind of iconic the way yeah, it came out. I mean, the fact that it was supposed to be a movie first is wild. <laughs> yeah. That's really And, and now, it, strangely enough, from what I understand, Paramount almost made it a movie a couple of years ago, and there were some issues about the uh, chain of title or something. And then uh, now I understand it's back It's back in the queue. They're good. Paramount may make the movie. Fine. Yeah, we've heard rumors about Sony, uh, Sony and uh, Paramount talking to the new, well, Valiant, right. about doing a set of six movies. And it sounds like the ones they're talking about is Harbinger and Bloodshot, so I guess we'll see. Harbinger, Bloodshot, Exo, and a few others. I don't remember. Yeah, that's super wild. Yeah. We ultimately wind up turning it into something. I mean, yeah, well, that would be nice to see. I mean, it would be... Uh, I don't. I don't have anything to do with it because you know they own it now. But uh, uh, I still. I'd, I'd like to see. It. I hope if they do it, I hope they do it well. Well, be interesting. I mean, at this point, with all the superhero movies the way they are now, and how many they're coming out, I mean, it's a good time for it. I think. Yeah. And I think it'd be interesting. Something off the what do you consider Marvel DC beaten path, I guess. But I mean, you, like you had a hand in that too, which is really awesome. So yeah, like you say, you don't really own it, but nevertheless, it's still something you helped create, man. Oh yeah. Well, so I created awesome it. See. I mean, the, the, the thing is. Uh, uh, if you if you use something for a company for which you are an employee, they become the owner. Right, right, yeah. And so, uh, uh, and I, I was an owner of the company, so I thought, oh, well, that's okay. Right. However, what I didn't realize was that my partner was going to start sleeping with the banker, and they had me outvoted on the board. And then when the company started to be worth a lot of money, they they, they fired me. They pushed me out. And they, so they told everybody, "Well, you know how you know Jim is so such a control freak, and he's a megalomaniac." And so everybody said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah we've heard that." You know, so he might, that must be the reason. No, the reason was money. Right. But, uh, but anyway, so I don't care. Years later, you know, if, if that thing becomes a movie, I just hope they do it well. Right. Right. 
Okay, so if you're trapped on a desert island, what five items would you take with you? Items can also be people. I'd take MacGyver, for one thing. Yeah. Uh, good choice. <laughs> probably my Swiss Army knife. Uh, also a good choice. I mean, with MacGyver, it makes sense. Yeah. Another uh, three, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. All right. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? <laughs> no. No? Because it would melt, right? I would say he melts. I'm it's, with you. I mean, right. there's just too many risks there. It's very true. Thank you. I appreciate it. Right. Thanks, man. My I appreciate pleasure. your time. Thank you. All right. Again, I want to thank Jim for taking time and sitting down. Uh, awesome conversation. The dude really is a, like a sta- upstanding guy. I mean, he's been all over the place and was super fun to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, so queso? No, that's cheese. Aso? That's something different. <laughs> oh, I was going for like something everybody has and they sit on. I mean, it's my pronunciation. That's a, yes. All right. Well, uh, let's see. So, Rob, um, what did you learn today, Rob? Uh, oh, I learned that Garth was harassed by angry dolphins when he was a kid. That is, it is a scary thing, but if you live in the sea, eventually you're going to meet one that's a jerk. <laughs> well, they punch with their heads. <laughs> that's true. That's, so, that's true. I can imagine dolphins are pretty mean. I mean, if they can kill a, sh- uh, a shirk... That's true. Yeah, you can imagine. What hope does an Aqualad have? Not much. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, what did I learn, Rob? Uh, I think you learned the points don't matter. <laughs> Damn it. And that you can't get past five because she'll start talking. <laughs> Those are all true things. Excellent. Excellent lesson today for everyone at home listening. Mm-hmm. Even the ladies. I, I will say, I, I also bonus bonus learned that space alien um, panda bears can fight from birth. That was also in the, the Venom comic. I didn't talk about that, but yeah. They, uh, <laughs> yeah, it only makes sense. They, they will fight. Oh, my They're God. Bread to fighters. All right. Um, they, don't, they don't fight for bread, but, you know. That's, that's, en- that's enough of that. Okay. <laughs> Good God. Um, so, uh, let's see. Do you want to do some books to watch, Rob? Sure, yeah. Okay, let's get a, book, a couple books to watch. Go. Um, well, there's going to be a bunch of stuff from Marvel, so one of them is going to be Luke Cage, which is going to be done by Gandy Tarkovsky. Right, Samurai Jack fame. Yeah, um, they're going to go back and, and actually touch on the Iron Fist series that was done previously, so that should be interesting to see. Uh, I guess we'll go with that. Uh, Champions, I think, is going to be fantastic. I'm pretty happy about that happening. Yeah, um... And then we got All-Star Batman coming out here pretty soon. Super Sun's coming out pretty soon. Uh, I know Teen Titans already came out, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it, so I'm still excited to see what that's all about. Um, and then, of course, Black Science and... Uh, Deadly Class. Deadly Class. Yeah. And Rebirth. I, I'm sorry, not Rebirth. Birthright. I love that series. Yeah, Birthright's fantastic. been fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. Rebirth is a good suit. Yeah, Josh Williams is a good, good writer. Yeah. Um, Man, well, that's that's a lot of... I actually watched The Sender. Um, yeah. Sender's good. Dustin Wind working on that. Um, Manifest Destiny, if you guys haven't checked that thing out, if you if you dig alternate history, anything, it, it's it's got awesome stuff in it, man. I mean, the title itself doesn't sell it by the title, 
because the title sounds like sounds sounds kind of boring. Manifest Destiny, yeah, mm. but it is a fantastic book. Um, and as I've learned from art history, Manifest Destiny doesn't necessarily cover what the story is about. It, no, but it it will punch you in the face with just like how weird stuff is. Yeah. So like it, they they really got. The, the imagination factor going in that story. Like, you're never going to run into the same stuff over and over with that. It's it's always something crazy and different. Right. Um, we got one getting ready to come out, I want to say, uh, from Image called Seven Past Eternity. I think is that what it is? Or Seven to Eternity? Oh, Seven to Eternity. Yeah, yeah Seven to Eternity. Yeah. And I, I want to say, I believe that's uh, supposed to start in September, I think. Maybe, yeah. So it's a couple months out. Um but yeah, it looks awesome, uh, story-wise, and and I, I think it's a Remember book, too, if I remember right. Don't quote me on that. But 70 Attorney looks awesome. Um, man, there's a couple other from Image that are coming out that I... Well, while you're thinking of that, there was one I forgot, it's Doom Patrol, uh, which you're already oh, doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm actually excited to see what that's going to be like. Yeah, there another couple coming from the Vertigo line. Um, oh, no, not Vertigo, sorry, Young Animal line. Which will be a new line spinning out of uh, uh, DC Comics. So now we'll have Vertigo, regular DC Universe, and then Young Animal. Which I think Young Animal. I assume the characters are going to be interacting in the same universe, from what we've been told. Uh, there is the same universe. It's just a different imprint. Uh, there's another one coming from there that uh, is going to be uh, Mother Panic, and I'm pretty hmm. pretty pumped for that too. Actually, uh, yeah, we. Actually, one of the interviews that we I did out in San Diego has oh, that's right, yeah, with Jody, and we'll play that on a later episode. But yeah, uh, Mother Panic looks like it'll be freaking great. I'm pretty pretty excited for that one actually. Um, man, I'm try- I still can't remember what the name of that. Isn't it's like Reborn? I think is what it's called. Huh. <sighs> Dang it! I'll look it up for next time. There you go. All right. Um, anything else, Rob? I think that I think that pretty much does it for this one. All right, I'm gonna give one more shout out for stuff. Um, I, oh, another another one watching. Vader Zim, um, our buddy Dave Crossland, doing the interior for a few of those issues. Oh yeah, Dave's awesome. Um, yeah, fantastic dude. Uh, but yeah, fun, good book. Uh, if you like the cartoon at all, or any any of Vasquez's stuff, it, it's good. That's not the shout out I wanted. What, what I wanted to tell people to do if they haven't had a chance to yet, or they haven't heard of it yet. There's a show on Netflix called Strange, uh, Stranger Things, and it is fan freaking fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, it's only eight episodes, but it is great. So if you're a Netflix watcher and you see the Strange Things pop up and you're like, I don't know what that is, watch it because it's awesome. If there's anything you liked from the 80s at all, and this thing has references, uh, it has uh, connections to. Old school 80s stuff. Uh, I mean, there's scenes that are stri- straight up like scenes from Aliens. Not exact scenes, but you know the connection to where that's f- where it's from. So lots of nods in the series. Uh, one of the cast members is going to be playing uh, in the uh, remake of Stand by Me. A uh, whole bunch of unknowns, but fantastic actors. I think the only there's only two that are really known ones. We know the writer's one of those. And I can take or leave her usually, but in this, she's awesome. But yeah, seriously, if you haven't got a chance to check out Stranger Things, it's great. Uh, watch it, because we really want a second season. Because it's freaking awesome. Great. Is that a Netflix exclusive? It is a Netflix exclusive. Yeah. So it is, it is, it is a Netflix show on Netflix. So uh, yeah, you really need to check it out, because it's freaking awesome. Um, I guess that's all. That's it. That's all I have. 
right. Anything else, Bob? No, that's it. That's no? it. All right. So, Tiki? Tiki! All right. Tiki! Tiki! Says, uh... Tiki! 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 Tiki